previously on the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. But you win! In this episode, we're finally cracking, and we'll focus on the ridiculously diverse variety of boats in this race. This is hole number seven of ten, and I believe there's only, I think, a total of six left in the world. I watched our speedometer hit six knots with just a reefed staysail, so like very little sail area, and I was just like, Siska's awesome. But it also is a really, really neat experience because it's not about winning to them, it's about the spirit of travel on water to unknown destinations. Hey, uh, some of a fan watching just said that the black duck is for naughty behavior. A big goal in this podcast has been to understand why. Why would anyone want to do this? We will never fully answer that question in a way that makes any sense, but in the next episode, we will talk about one of the reasons that racers have mentioned. They're doing it for a cause. We also want to know what happened to Team Oracle. How are they feeling about their DNF? And how did the decision to cut them affect the race boss, Daniel Evans? Join us next time, June 22nd. Welcome back to the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. I'm Angel Mathis from Boldly Went Productions, bringing you this 14-part podcast following the 750-mile race to Alaska. This is episode 10 of 14 that chronicles the quest to win $10,000 in a non-motorized, unsupported boat race through the iconic Inside Passage. You'd be forgiven for thinking that the R2AK is a race between a couple of fast racers shooting for the $10,000 prize, a few dirtbags out on a joyride in their dad's stolen boat Ferris Bueller style, and a weirdo who wants to test drive his homemade submarine. You might not be far off, but there are also some amazing people who sign up in order to use the race as a platform to do good things. In this episode, we highlight a few of them. Historically, a lot of racers have used the race to Alaska to raise funds for cancer research and other important issues that we believe in wholeheartedly. Despite what you've heard, our 2 AKers are good people. While that's true this year as well, we can't feature everyone. So in this episode, I'll highlight a few teams championing causes that we believe are right in line with the mission of the race. Before we start, I want to get something straight. If you're sitting at home laughing because I said, quote, the mission of the race, stop it. Seriously, people, believe it or not, this is an event that was started by the Northwest Maritime Center. It has an important mission with specific goals in mind. Those goals are exactly the same as the ones outlined in their overall organizational mission statement. Reading from their website, The mission of the Northwest Maritime Center is to engage and educate people of all generations in traditional and contemporary maritime life, in a spirit of adventure and discovery. We're many things, and at our core, we are a campus that uses powerful maritime experiences to educate, inspire people to adventure, and celebrate our maritime culture. We do it for our own love of boats, in service to the local community and maritime industry, but mostly because regardless of the subject, the sea is the most powerful teacher we know. 
So all of the work the race puts into keeping you all entertained and to giving racers a good experience, they do it because it's good fun, of course, but they also do it because they want to change the world for the better and change people's lives. That's why when you look closely behind the humor and the grand spectacle of it all, it's clear that along with everything else it is, the Race to Alaska is a powerful maritime experience that works hard to educate you, the adoring masses, about the importance and the inspiration of the sea. Now that we've cleared that up, let's dig into the people who are living out that mission intentionally, who are associated in one way or another in the Race to Alaska. Quick disclaimer. None of the causes we'll talk about here are officially supported by the R2AK or the Northwest Maritime Center, at least as far as I know. We didn't ask any higher ups if we could mention them. We at Boldly Went just deemed them worthy and appropriate ourselves. These causes are illustrations of how the race community itself embodies the tender, empathetic heart that lies just beneath R2AK's cruel, salty, and abrasive exterior. There's a quote I love from Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of the Patagonia brand and one of the world's preeminent dirtbags. He said, you have a whole life in the outdoors. You realize you have a sense of responsibility to protect these wild places. The R2AK is the type of place where people who spend their whole life on the water end up, so it's no surprise that multiple teams have developed a sense of responsibility for it and use their race to draw attention to environmental issues related specifically to the sea. We've talked about Team Funky Dory in a lot of episodes because they're endearing and so easy to root for. If you remember, they're the two guys, Pax and Thor, tackling this brutal course in a tiny, unenclosed, 16-foot Swampscut Dory. I hope you're not getting Dory fatigue because they are one of the inspirations for this episode. They're supporting a cause that's so on point that we have to mention it. Pax and Thor both are generally passionate about the sea and you can feel their heartfelt desire to protect it in the way they talk about it. I don't know, the, the biggest thing for us was just like, we had felt like we had to do something for the ocean and we, I've been fixing and working on boats since I was a kid. I think I had my, my first boat was actually another dory when I was, 12 years old or something back in Maine and worked on that and just sort of have always been around boats and this is what I know and um, we're trying to transfer what we know into sort of helping what we care about and that's the ocean because the ocean has a much greater effect on everyone's day-to-day -day lives than they ever realize and if people could take anything from this it would be just sort of acknowledging the ocean's presence and trying to learn more about it. I realized that not everyone has the privilege of getting that connection with the ocean and that's something I think about every single day and eventually we'd like to sort of transition this into getting more people connected with the water some some way somehow for now the mission is just trying to get people to if you see something you care about just do what you know you can and do it because the world's not getting any better <laughs> you got to do burn something it, grab burn it around us grab a bucket um, all right so yeah and it Leave seems it on that positive note. Yeah. Yeah. It right. seems almost cliche to say, but you, you just have to do something or I don't know. Yeah, this is yeah, it's awesome. It's a great story and people latch on to great stories, so it's cool that you're doing this and I think it's gonna get attention. Um, I hope so.
Because they're passionate about it, they told us they spent months pursuing a partnership with a local conservation organization, Pacific Wild, who are creating some film and media about their race. Pacific Wild focuses on water protection in the specific coastal waters off the coast of British Columbia that the race passes through. In my opinion, Pacific Wild is really smart to partner with these guys because the race itself is a full immersion education on why these waters are remarkable. Neither of us are from the area here, but we care about beautiful places everywhere and we care about the ocean in particular and that's sort of why we're doing this. And the Pacific Wild works in a region called the Great Bear Rainforest and then the northern Oh, we got a diver in the water. Um, the North Marine Bio Shelf. The North Marine Bio Shelf, which is the whole, like the sea slash ocean between Haida Gwaii and the mainland BC there, from the northern tip of British Columbia up to the southern tip of Alaska. And in that region are some pretty incredible things. And honestly, it's irreplaceable. Um, and having grown up on the East Coast where the ecosystems have been changed quite drastically by human impacts, um, to see and hear about a region that is largely still intact, it's still got its issues, but it's pretty inspiring and it's, it seems like a natural thing to try and protect, particularly because we're driving, we're headed sailing through that whole region. And if we can sort of tie that into a larger conversation about the ocean and trying to get people to just talk about the ocean more like I don't care if they watch Blue Planet and have a fun conversation like they just need to talk about it and we need to acknowledge it in our day-to-day -day lives more because we the reality is we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be breathing the air we're breathing wouldn't have the climate we're breathing or we're not breathing but living in if it weren't for the ocean and I want people to acknowledge it more and try and protect it because it's it's disappearing and changing in a way that we will not be able to comprehend so until it's too late than we could even measure right yeah. now. Pax and Thor requested that we tell you guys to look up Pacific Wild and support them. So do it. By the way, at the time of recording, Pax and Thor are just coming out of Johnstone Narrows, so moving right along. Thor was absolutely right that the waters that this race passes through are remarkable and important. Funky Dory are on a 16-foot boat and have been about as close to these coastal waters as it gets. But it's impossible for any team to pass through without experiences of beauty and transcendence. We heard about magical experiences on the water multiple times and picked this up clearly in a call we received about wildlife encounters mid-race from Satchel Douglas and Natalie Creu from Team Shut Up and Drive, third place finishers in this year's race. Well, we saw uh, lots of uh, porpoises. They were very curious about us when we were pedaling. And then they came back at night when there was very heavy wind. There were a lot of porpoises, that's true. With the bioluminescence trailing off them, it was beautiful. Yeah. Also, you were asleep, but this morning, right before the pedaling, Tongi and Justin and I saw a whale. Oh, nice. Uh, and we got video of the whale. So that was really cool. Dolphins triggering bioluminescence and whale encounters over morning coffee are pretty darn memorable experiences, and they highlight the natural beauty and biodiversity of this incredible part of the world. Another team raising awareness about the local waterways is Team Oracle. They are encouraging people to toss some money in to support the BC Marine Trails Association, specifically to support the development of the Inside Passage Marine Trail. 
In these kinds of events, one way to get attention to the cause is to succeed spectacularly, but another is to fail in interesting ways. Team Oracle is made up of a duo who have managed to finish the R2AK seven times collectively. This year, choosing to enter the race in a two-person sea kayak. The previous years, they used various other vessels, but in their sea kayak, they set out on stage one, marking Janice's fourth start of the race and Ian's perfect attendance fifth start of the race. This is an important detail because there are only three people in the whole race who have even started the race at least four times, and Ian and Janice of Team Oracle make up two of those three people. Sadly, they got cut after stage one, like all but one other human-powered craft. But of all the teams that didn't make it past the Proving Grounds, their failure was both the narrowest and the most interesting, having gotten blown off course and narrowly missing the 36-hour cutoff for stage one. Here's Janice and Ian explaining what happened. We kind of waited until about 11 when the wind was dropping a bit over, over on Dungeness Spit. So we started out, nice paddle. And I guess we just didn't quite gauge enough for the flood when it was going to hit. And so we started out pretty good. And then next thing you know, we're like pointing like directly west. <laughs> and we just started getting pushed more and more past Trial Island and into the slop. And the wind picked up and the flood was just more than we could handle. And uh, Ian did a really good job and managed to get us to this little tiny beach right at the south end of the Victoria Golf Course. And we're going, okay, it's five to four. We've got Janice, like... how long does it take to walk from downtown from from uh, Oak Bay Golf Course? And it's like, uh, so, it's an hour and 15 an hour and 15 okay, We're going to jog then. <laughs> Get the boat on the, the wheels. So so we had carried wheels in our in our boat because I had to wheel the boat over to uh, Port Angeles on the ferry. And so we had these wheels, which you don't normally take, but they were in the middle, in the middle hatch. And so we hauled them out, put them up beside the green, threw the boat on, threw all the gear in, waved to a few golfers who said, yeah, it's pretty rough out there. They had no problem with us. And then just hoofed it along the side of the greens onto the road and got hit Fairfield Road, and or Beach Drive and then Fairfield Road. And yeah, it was those hills that slowed us down. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. Yeah, like Not the boat that you were lugging and, and, around. You know, note to self, like, bring running shoes next time. No good for portage. Yeah, well, urban portage is no, no good. terrible. So, and I had visions of Daniel being down here at the finish line with the bell. Uh huh. And then, uh, you know, we'd show up and he'd go, Congratulations for getting here, but you know, you're out of the race because you missed the cutoff. But he wasn't there. There wasn't even a bell there. Everyone was gone. It's like five o'clock. Okay, you know, we're out of here. You know, I mean, we, if we, if we, we should have gone straight to the church, right? Yes. And burst through the doors. You with know, your like, kayak. With yeah. the, with yeah. the kayak. Well, we had the kayaks. We had the kayak yeah. up there, right in front of the Empress. Yeah. Like, but like yeah. it was short, it would have been like shaved another five minutes off. Probably. It might have been a bit more sympathy, even, you know? Like, yeah. Because it would have been, it would have been, you know, under. Under 15 been, minutes. It would have been late. 520, maybe. Yeah. So yes, they got washed off course, landed on the beach of a golf course, and made a run for the bell at the finish line of stage one while pulling their kayak behind them, dodging golfers, and just to throw one more obstacle in their path, trying to call Canadian customs to make sure they weren't breaking any laws on entry. Despite their valiant effort, they arrived 35 minutes late, meaning they arrived to Victoria 36 hours and 35 minutes after leaving Port Townsend. 
After braving the rough seas, getting successfully across the strait, and a jog to the finish line bell, the Eye of the Tiger theme song came to a screeching halt and was replaced with a doleful and melancholy tune of crickets. When they found that no one, not a soul, was at the finish line to greet them. If you want to know why such a cruel and heartless maneuver was pulled, it is because it was just a few minutes before the stage two dinner party started. So most folks associated with the event were gathering across town. An interesting subplot to this whole story is that lots of people had strong opinions about the race's decision not to allow Oracle to continue after their valiant attempt to make it in by cutoffs. Or more accurately, people got fired up and said mean things about the race boss on the internet. We asked both Team Oracle and race boss Dan Evans for their thoughts on that decision. Oh, and so what did you feel like when you, when you knew that this wasn't going to go on this year? Uh, Crushed. It was kind of mixed, actually. You know, yeah. but we gave it a, I was pretty sick a couple days ago, and so we, we, we gave it 100%. You probably gave it 120%, and I gave it, like, you know, 90%. Yeah. But, um... No, yeah, we, and, uh, and the weather we, just wasn't yeah. in our favor. Like yeah. today would have been a great day to come across, and we actually thought about staying over there until today and coming when the weather was supposed to be decent. But it's kind of like, well, yeah, we can probably make it. And uh, when we started off, I thought, yeah, we'll get there in lots of time. But again, we just misjudged yeah. the flood. Well, I think, I think we're, we're pretty and the wind, the wind picked up too. Yeah. So yeah, but, but uh, we're I would still say happy. we're pretty serious about like you know managing risk. And so, you know, we wouldn't normally go out in those conditions. Yeah. So we wait, we waited a little longer so that we'd have the, the current with the wind, you know, that would sort of damp, hopefully dampen things down. But then you've got, you've got to deal with Trial Island and the, it sure and didn't the, seem the four to... or five knots when you get there. But, uh, yeah, if we'd, if we'd left about a half an hour or an hour earlier, we, we would have probably hit uh, Clover Point and made it in. Yeah, but the wind, yeah. the wind didn't seem to, well, the wind and the flood didn't seem to dampen anything. It actually, the closer we got to Victoria, the, the bouncier it got and the wind picked up. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a bit chaotic. Did you feel sad telling them that they couldn't go on? Horribly sad. <laughs> I, I mean, I think both Jake and I are probably the strongest advocates for them to go on. But then there's the other half of us that know, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talked a lot about this, and I'm not sure if we share this with you or if I share this with you, but, you know, one of the things that was really being celebrated a moment before was um, everything that Funky Dory did to get here before the bell. And then, you know, the the thing that kind of sealed it for us, as much as we want to celebrate people who have been part of this race since its inception, is that um, we didn't want to take away from their story. And everything they went through to get here and the sinking of their boats and the broken leaky boat and the same kind of ugly crossing so it was yeah it was it was it's, i feel awful right now no, this is, no, I, come on it's like breaking up of some family it's <laughs> it's but, you tough. know you start making exceptions you know you right. have you have this these parameters and you start making exceptions and then where do you stop look janice is starting to talk me down that's what's happening right now. <laughs> this is Thanks, a, let everyone get on the shame train. Well, I'm glad I got to chat with you. Thank you. And I'm sorry that that happened, but it was pretty great.
Funky Dory, which was mentioned briefly there at the end, made it to the finish with just minutes to spare after their boat was completely swamped and they were bailing water to save their lives. They made it before the cutoff. Janice and Ian didn't. It's that simple. I get it. That sounds harsh, but Janice and Ian didn't feel like they should be granted an extension either. And they completely backed up the race's rules and proudly accepted their DNF, even though they were crushed. It seems a little bit of controversy is a good thing to draw attention to the causes they're supporting. True fans and new fans should be flocking over to their Facebook page. Just search Team Oracle, that's O-A-R-A-C-L-E, R-2-A-K, 2019, to lend your support to the BC Marine Trails Network Association, the Children's Health Foundation of Vancouver Island, and the Northwest Maritime Center. One idea that is foundational to the Race to Alaska's mission is that the sea itself is the best teacher. And if you can put people in a position to learn from it, amazing things will happen. The captain of the media boat this year, Carl Kruger, is great evidence that they're right. He is the only person to have finished the race on a stand-up paddleboard, and the race experience impacted him in a way that has led both to another, even bigger project, that is an attempt this summer to stand up paddleboard the Northwest Passage and to a renewed commitment to environmental activism. We had a chance to talk with Carl about both of those things as we sailed north on his boat named Ocean Watch. You know, on the face of it, it's, a, it's an attempt to paddle through the Northwest Passage. It'll be the first known time somebody's done it in a single season by human power. And it'll also be the first time anybody's done it on a stand-up paddleboard. And the, the main reason why that's even possible is because of the loss of ice in the Arctic, largely as a result of humans contributing to climate change. You know, we're losing the, the old ice very rapidly. And it's changed the it's changed the dynamic up there. What, what used to be normal is you know, it's just very, very different, you know. Like this year. Uh, there's a lot of open water already, and it's just still early June, and usually there's not open water till July. Um, so I expect by the time I get there, depending on wind conditions and stuff, it'll be very open. There's a good chance that, that the project will work, so there's that. You know, it's a, it's a personal attempt to, to do something that hasn't been done before and figure that out. It's a, you know, it's a physical game, and it's a mental game, and I'm um, you know, pushing myself pretty hard to, to do this. But it's also meant to raise awareness of the fact that conditions are changing rapidly in the Arctic, and, and in this region of the Arctic specifically. So my goal is to um, get as many eyes on that subject as possible. Totally. Are you um, are you working with any like organizations, or do you have sponsors? Uh, this is largely self-funded. So I have a sponsor in Colorado who uh, gave me the money I needed to build the board. So I've designed and built that with Joe Bark. And then I have a GoFundMe page up. Uh, and there's been a lot of small donors um, that have helped me get gear and that. And then I've got a number of gear sponsors who've 
who've um, contributed equipment to the cause. But I don't have, you know, a great big high roller budget at all. Like this is definitely on a, <laughs> this is on a dime. This whole thing. I, I honestly, I don't even know how I'm getting home yet. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not kidding. It's not a joke. Like, I don't know. Like I have the gas money to get up there, and I'm really hoping that, you know, by starting this and just like having faith and going forward that, you know, people get interested and maybe the GoFundMe page will raise enough money that I can buy a plane to get home. <laughs> If you want to help pay for his ticket home, Carl said that if you Google Northwest Passage 2019 SUP Expedition, it'll take you to his GoFundMe page. Carl also spoke about the relationship between his experience of the race to Alaska in 2017 and this decision to pursue something even bigger. Anything that you're known for is the completing the race to Alaska on a SUP board. Do you feel like there was any relationship between that experience and then your decision to pursue this one? Oh, hands down. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And we're actually, I don't know if somebody cued you up for this or not, but we're, we're actually only just a, just a few miles away from where I was when the idea came to me to do the Northwest Paddle, it's right over there. Oh yeah? Um, I, so I paddled, you know, the last big crossing that I had for the race to Alaska. Was that headland that you can't see in the fog over there, and I paddled by those two islands, and then I went that way. And where? Past Dundas, across Dixon Entrance, it was a 50 mile crossing. Okay, so yeah, so Dundas, by Dixon Entrance, we're kind of near Prince Rupert, DC. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of this body of water? Uh, it's Chatham Sound. Okay. And then, you know, in Dixon, it'll be Dixon Entrance here in just a little while. So what triggered that? So what triggered that was the fact that I was really feeling the fact that the paddle was almost over. You know, I, I, I achieved the deepest flow state I've ever experienced in my life. I was in it day and night. <laughs> I didn't really, I never came out. I was in that flow state 24-7. And as I neared the finish line, there was like this weight on me. Like I wasn't ready to be done. I didn't want to be done. I was having a really good time and really enjoying what I was doing. It's hard. You know, it was really hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But, but I was really enjoying it every minute of it. And like that last night <coughs> up on Cape Fox before I paddled to catch a hand the next day, it was like a full-blown depression. Like I was depressed. You know, I was laying there in my tent just bumming out that was over, you know, like I'd done the last hard thing, I only had 50 miles left and I wasn't exposed, it was just a really easy paddle to get into Ketchikan and I was super bummed out, like I was really, I wasn't ready to be done and anyway, I, I was paddling across Dixon Entrance here and I had a really, it was a, it was the single most difficult day of the entire race too, I mean, it was towards the end and I was physically tired, I wasn't eating well, I was tired. And the forecast was for light and variable, but what I got was an hourly squall that would blow through, like these big black squalls would come from southwest and clock northeast. And in this area, we have a lot of fresh water kind of laying on top a lot of times from the from the uh, Skeena River that flows out right over here. <coughs> and fresh water is really easily agitated, especially when you get salt water slicing under it. And anyway, it was bumpy, it was rowdy, it's exposed. Um, and there, you know, during those falls, a lot of times I would just go to my knees and brace and just wait, you know. And it was during one of those times that I was on my knees and bracing and thinking about the fact I was almost done. And I was thinking about how well it went, you know. I mean, in general, like I really, you know, I, I got over, over those hurdles. Like, you know, I, I, 
I looked at the coast as a series of gates, you know, it's like you got Juan de Fuca, you got Northern Straits of Georgia, Seymour Narrows, you know, Queen Charlotte Strait, you know, you got these really, you got a series of hurdles, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, with a whole lot of grinding in between. <clears throat> and Dixon Entrance is the last one, and at least in my mind, it was the last big hurdle. Um, and I mean, somewhere in the back of my mind, I guess I was thinking about, like, well, what's the next thing? Like, what's the next progression from here? You know, it's like all these road signs. You look, you look back on your life, you know, and there's all these road signs that point to what got you right there in that moment. And then I just got thinking, well, what, what's the next thing? You know, Carl's story may seem pretty unique, but it's all a great illustration of why this race inspires so many people to projects that are bigger than the race itself. It immerses racers in a massive, beautiful environment, and it pushes them past their previous sense of limitation. It's a race that allows the sea itself to call participants to bigger, better things. Within the overarching culture of big, well-run boating races, there are a lot of ways in which the race to Alaska stands out like a sore thumb. It's a hardcore, no-joke course that requires serious experience and skill to complete. But it's also a little bit punk rock and a whole lot dirtbag. By placing DIY paddle wheelers and homemade wooden boats alongside expensive custom trimarans, there's an underlying sense that this isn't just a race for the wealthy yachting elite. It's a race for anyone with the guts and skill to pull it off. Finances and pedigree be damned. Because of this, it draws attention beyond just the normal boating set. It's communicating a message that plenty of people within the outdoor world can identify with. That adventure is for everyone. Because of that, it is a perfect venue for Team Sail Like a Girl, who for the last two years have competed with a mission that transcends the race itself. When they won the race in 2018 with an all-female team, it drew attention to the race, but it also drew attention to a cause that they've been intentional about championing, inspiring women to think differently about their place in the sailing world. I had a chance to talk to team members, Lori, Anna, and Nikki in Victoria this year about this mission. Describe to listeners what the cause is. Are either of you able to talk to that? Yeah, I think we can talk to that in our own ways. I think every, all of us have slightly different language, but I think we're very much aligned. And I want to say that like, Jean was really careful that that was one of the most important things to pull the team together. It's like, why? Why R2AK? Why this particular team? You know, I've, we each come with our own histories. I've worked in a male-dominated industry my whole career. I've been sailing my whole life. I just love to get on top of the momentum that this team has already begun um, to say we can compete and we can lead in, in ways that are not necessarily the same way a man leads but it's insanely effective and we're figuring that out in the corporate world and like it's really fun to translate that into um, athletics and teamwork in this way I mean that's my own like set of language I think we all have different language around it yeah and Nikki what's the what's the cause I mean, the cause is to send a message that sailing like a girl is a good thing. Just like throwing like a girl is a good thing. 
or leading like a girl or being a girl is a strong thing just like it is a man. It's not about anti-men, it's not about pro-only women everything, but it's just, it's just about changing our attitude to women. Mm-hmm. That's it. Having a seat at the table. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like people come up and they say, oh, wow, an all-female team. You don't hear them coming up to basically every other boat, which is in fact all-male, and say, wow, an all-male team. It shouldn't be the exception. It's yes. not the exception for them, so why is it the exception for us? Yeah, yeah, totally behind that. I've heard people say that you are trying to break the glass ceiling on sail- of sailing. Does it feel like you've actually broken it? Uh, <laughs> that's a long traditional glass ceiling that will exactly. take years to break but we're starting to believe that we can do it and that's stage one I reckon it's not cha- it's not changing other people's yeah, yeah. view of women it's cha- changing women's view of women that's well said and I think it's you know there's a the trend in the certainly in our culture to put more women out front and to recognize the differences that we bring to the table I just are, are we doing it all on our own? Hell no. Are we contributing to a momentum that's out there in our own unique way, just like our 2AK is about as unique as it gets? I mean, yeah, I think, I think we're contributing. Sail Like a Girl finished fourth in the 2019 race, sailing one of the smartest, hardest races at the front of the pack. Even though they didn't repeat their win, in many ways their last few hours underscored their overall message. They spent the final miles of the race battling it out intensely with a third-place finisher and high winds across the notoriously treacherous Dixon entrance. Both teams broached hard on the way to the finish to the extent that Sail Like a Girl bent a spreader. Both teams put on a gutsy and impressive performance at the end of a long, grueling race. And the team that ultimately came out ahead, shut up and drive, was also skippered by a woman, Natalie Creu. I had the chance to speak to the team again in Ketchikan at the finish line. This time I spoke with Captain Jeannie Gusev and Amy Fulwell, and I asked them about their plans going forward. So I think last year gave us the voice. Um, winning the race last year is something that gave us a voice out there in the sailing community to talk about women in sailing. We're still such a minority in our sport. I really wish and want to see that shift in the right direction. It doesn't mean we need to get to 50-50, but to get more women into leadership positions on boats has become something that I'm really passionate about, to get women helming, to get them doing tactics, trimming main, doing all the jobs that tend to, to shift to the male sailors on boats. So last year gave us a voice because we won this year i think that we were really able to hold our own in a really competitive sailing race and show that we could be competitive out there in the toughest of conditions and you know i i think that that is something that we'd like to continue to move the needle on and encourage other women to get out there even if it's not just sailing i mean this is not all about sailing this is an adventure race have women get out there and challenge themselves and do hard things and just buck the trend and and challenge their own assumptions of what they're capable of and challenge the communities that they're in to think differently about what their role is in in these kinds of sports. We're going to have spaghetti on the wall sessions coming up. Um, There is a lot more that will happen with Sail Like a Girl and we, we still need to 
figure out what that becomes going forward. Um, we will be staying together and, and moving things in the right direction. We have amazing brains on this team in addition to you know all of the, the sailing experience and everything that everybody brings to the table. So we're really excited to move this to the next level. We have been working so hard towards Race to Alaska this year that it seems like life begins after R2AK right now. And I know that we're, we're just pumped to get this thing going and, and to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so when you say spaghetti on the wall, is that sailor terminology? No. Or is that just like, so, you're going to get serious? Like you're so going to see gonna what sticks. we're going to throw spaghetti on the wall Any and idea? see what sticks. We're yes. gonna, we've okay. got some brainstorming sessions coming up to really figure out there are so many possibilities of what we can do um, and I know that we're all really passionate about this sport, about this race, about our boat, about women in adventure, women in sailing. So we are going to work towards all of those ends to keep this momentum going and to do some things that will help others as well. The work that Sail Like a Girl is doing has important implications for bringing more women into the sailing community. If this is something that interests you, no matter your gender identity, boil your spaghetti and get in touch. If someone listening is like, oh my God, like where have you been all my life? And they want to be part of it. Yeah. Like what do they do? Reach out to us. So we have, um, they can connect with us on Facebook. We're Team Sail Like a Girl on Facebook. We have our website, saillikeagirl.us. And Instagram is hashtag Team Sail Like a Girl. So they can reach out to us in any of those ways. They can email us at crew at saillikeagirl.us. And we would be happy to um, talk with people about ideas and, and listen to what um, contributions others want to make. This is um, certainly going to take a village to continue to move things along and so we're open to any and all offers and discussions and ideas. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, thank you so much. Oh, good. Thank you. You guys are so, so awesome. The R2AK race community is so full of interesting, inspiring people. And it's no surprise that it's been easy for us to find folks in this group who are racing for bigger things than just some money nailed to a tree or a set of steak knives. Maybe the most inspiring place on the whole course is the finish line in Ketchikan. Have you wondered what the scene's like there? Or how the local community responds to all this craziness? And how racers react when they ring the bell to complete their journey? Join us next time, June 26th. That's it for today's R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. Huge thanks to Race to Alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world, and to all the crazy adventurers who are trying it and who are fodder for this podcast. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to Uncruz, Northwest Maritime Center, Team Funky Dory, Team Oracle, Team Shut Up and Drive, Daniel Evans, Carl Kruger, Team Sail Like a Girl, Michaela Elias, Audio Editor and Production Assistant, Tim Mathis, Lead Writer, Episode Production by Boldly Went. Also, too, The Sea as a Teacher, Magical Wilderness, Water Protectors, Pacific Wild, BC Marine Trails Association, The Northwest Passage, The Arctic Sea Ice That We Still Have Left, Intense Races, Children's Health Foundation of Vancouver Island, Women Sailors, Spaghetti, and...
Racing for a Cause. If you're still listening, thanks. Get all the daily details about the race to Alaska at r2ak.com. Get additional R2AK content and reporting from our website or link to the regular weekly Boldly Went podcast featuring the brief and true adventure stories by outdoorists of all kinds at boldlywentadventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast from the finish line in Ketchikan with the race to Alaska. Ignite your adventure. Oh, no